0: The Numinous Podcast, with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to the Numinous Podcast, where we have interesting conversation with everyday folks about the mystery of life. This podcast is a compliment to the Numinous School, my online intuition development program for people who want their self-awareness to serve a greater good. I'm your host, Carmen Spaniola, and today on the podcast, I'm connecting with my dear friend and soul sister, Jen Richardson. Jen is the yin to my yang, the shakti to my shiva. Whenever she's been on retreat or quest with me, she has always said the thing I forgot I wanted to say. (laughs) So I love circling with her because she is raw and real and tells the truth, even if her legs are shaking and her voice is tight, she really sees people and accepts people, and has a clear, strong connection to the other worlds. And of course, her skill as an intuitive, and as a poet, and as a friend has been hard-fought and painfully wrought through surviving some very difficult experiences, as so often is the case. One topic we often circle back to when Jen and I are talking and drinking, either late into the night or sometimes just over Skype in the afternoon, uh, is the parenting we received, or didn't so much receive when we were teenagers and younger adults. I spoke with Jen online. She was at home in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So Jen, I'd like to start the interview with Desiree Attaway's uh, question that she often uses in uh, conversation. Um, So let's begin with you telling us what identities do you lead with?
1: Um, Well, I thought about the word that came to mind was banshee. (laughs) 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 <laughs> You're like hi oh, Jen Richardson yeah. <laughs> yeah. it kind of is that intense right now, um but in in when i'm trying to behave in the world, uh, I would say uh probably um poet uh queer and uh, feminist, yeah, um, but really always banshee,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but really that's also reminding me of like. Um, you know, you and I have done a lot of kind of marketing observation work stuff over the years, right? As we've kind of been working in the healing space. And so, you know, they're like, I could say that I'm a hypnotherapist, but really I'm a trance enchanter yeah. or something, you know, it's like, but really, but I, I would love to see the business card that says, but really, banshee. but really banshee, <laughs> actually it should be like but- really banshee. <laughs> like
1: it's, it's an emphasis. Really?
0: <laughs> I'm like super banshee right now.
1: <laughs> Full stop.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I would love for us while we're in this like playful mood, can you go back to telling us what Jen was like at like, I don't know, like nine or ten? Like what what is a junior banshee in training like? <laughs>
1: well, at nine or ten, I was probably quite a stoic banshee at that point. I would say to really like have the full, the full wild banshee, you'd probably have to go back to about four, Mm. Um, but I was, um, my mom explains me often that I came out walking away and that, um, and she loves the story. (laughs) When I was two, um, she said, okay, it's time for a nap. And I was said, why do you, or no, why do I always have to have a nap when you're tired? So, so, um, I would say that that's probably where it was like peak Banshee. And then, um, yeah, as the world asks you to shift and conform, um, I I was a well-behaved Banshee by nine or 10 years old, but a seeker, a seeker for sure at that age, Hmm. like looking, looking, yeah.
0: Where were you looking and what for
1: I was looking for belonging and I was looking for connection. Um, yeah. So I, when I was like seven, I decided I was going to start going to church. So I, I, um,
0: that, yeah, we just paused there. Cause that's weird. Yeah, <laughs> I was joking. For a lot, I did the same thing. I was always trying to ask, um, especially my Catholic friends, if they wanted to have sleepovers, you know how picking up after school on Friday is kind of what you do, but I would always ask if I could stay over on Saturday so I could tag along to Sunday school. Precisely. What do they do in those fucking meetings? <laughs> Where are the kids going? Exactly. I want the stuff. Yeah, I get it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So that was, I was like trying to conform at that point, I think at nine or 10 years old, but Um, Yeah. I'm just trying to find the
0: place, trying to find the place. Mm. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And can you tell us what the environment was like? Like tell us about the town where you lived. um, So grew up really rural, um, grew up pretty poor,
1: um, like very working class, I I will say, but definitely in poverty. Um, Yeah. And I grew up, doing a lot of things, um, outdoors. So, um, until I was about seven. And so that, so this, we're here to talk about my dad is what I So Yeah. Uh,
0: my, yeah.
1: Yeah. So my dad, uh, my dad was an alcoholic and he started drinking when I was about seven or eight years old. But until that time, um, I had sort of access to the wild because, <laughs> because we were poor, I just thought that poor people ate seafood. And we would go fishing and, you know, do all that kind of stuff, uh, camping, lots of outdoors things. And then, um, once his drinking impacted the family, he wasn't there anymore. And of course my mom had to, um, you know, pick up everything. So, um, so there just wasn't the time for Mm. that to really be a thing. And I had, uh, I was really into girl guides. So, so that worked, um, to satisfy it a little bit, but yeah. Mm. community, I was yeah in the church um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah,
0: and so your dad's drinking starts to really impact the family while you're still quite young
1: mm-hmm. and
0: what was it like for you in your teenage years? How did the drinking evolve
1: hmm. well, he wasn't we weren't even really in touch, like he left uh, the community when I was about ten, and then um I, we would talk to him a couple times a year. Um, my mom, my, my mom, you know, she, she taught good lessons in that time. Like, cause I would say, um, I don't want to talk to him cause I was angry, you know? And she would say, well, just tell him that you're angry. Like that's, he's your dad. He can handle that. Like if you're angry, you tell him that you're angry. If that's all you have to say. That's all you have to say, you know? And so that was sort of the relationship. It wasn't really one. I saw him, oh, I, he, no. he was hitchhiking to come back up to where, where the family, or like where my family was living, and so I was about 14, I guess, um, and I don't know if he was drinking, like, when he left to come up, but he started drinking while he was back on the island, regardless, and he got picked up by the police. Um, and he actually got, he got the shit kicked out of him by the police and ended up in hospital. Um, and so we saw him then. <laughs> um, he was, we had to go, the we weren't sure if he was going to survive or not. He did. He lived that, that time. Um, but yeah, so I saw him then and then he came back just for a couple, a couple months before he died when I was 17. Um, but it was a mostly not a relationship. Like it was,
0: yeah, I got cards. Um So but. your dad was he was homeless for a lot of the time and yeah. you're in this really small island community and um you're a teenager. And so yeah. I, I don't know if I have the image correctly, but the way I imagine that is that everybody knows your dad is the like town drunk or like one of the few homeless people um you know and you're you're in an environment where there's a lot of resource extraction lots of fishers and loggers and that sort of stuff so even if your dad was an alcoholic most dads probably worked and had a house right it's yeah. not like a metropolitan kind of place where people can just disappear it's like no everybody knows who everybody is so there you are at like 14 15 16 that must have been embarrassing yeah yeah, it definitely was. And that's,
1: I mean, that's probably why I didn't want to have a real relationship with him. I was embarrassed and ashamed now, he wasn't living in the community at that time. He, when it got really bad uh, and it was sort of untenable, he left the community.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: often think that that was a real gift that he gave <laughs> to mm-hmm. my brother and I, because we didn't, we, we, we didn't have to see it. Right. Like, right. We saw it just for the couple of months that he was back before he died. But, um, so it becomes easy to sort of push it away. And, you know, when you're a teen, you can get distracted by other things. And, you know, life is a really dramatic thing anyways. Like, um, so yeah, I, I, I don't even know if, ha- like there were few people that I would talk to about my family, mm-hmm. very, very few. Um, yeah but it I, I had an easier time putting it aside when I was a teen. Um, But yeah, it was definitely shameful. And, um, or like, it wasn't shameful. I felt ashamed. I felt ashamed, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I, you know, that, that is just complex, I think for, you know, like being poor as well adds to that. And, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious. I mean, that's touching on something for me too alcoholic dad growing up. And sometimes I'd be, um, my stoic Carmen would be a little shocked when people would acknowledge that and say you know yeah. I had an alcoholic mom I remember a family friend she always had such a hate on for my stepdad and you know I was I kind of always rejoiced in that a little bit was happy about it but she also super intimidated me for nation a mm-hmm. woman like mm-hmm. loved her, but also totally petrified of her I mm-hmm. remember her saying to me when I was like 12 or something you know I know what it's like and how hard it is to have an alcoholic parent but you know I mean, Hey, imagine, I remember saying to me, imagine though, that it's your mom. Cause that was like really taboo. Right. And then when I look back on that now and I go, Oh yeah. And her mom would have been like a residential school survivor or intergenerational. Right. And so I just think, Ooh, gosh, you know, she was really, this was, this was quite a thing, even culturally, I think now when I think of her reaching out to me at that very tender age to just acknowledge, like this is what's going on. And when I think back now, Wow, can I ever see how, you know, my 20s and 30s were really shaped by just carrying and enduring, right? I'm curious yeah. how when you look back at at Teenage Jen, mm-hmm. um, what parts of her shaped your path? You know, that, that you can now link to what was going on with your dad?
1: Mm. Well, I actually think what's happening right now in terms of needing to be able to sort of separate feeling from um, reality right now like you know I'm going through an intensely you know other thing intensely you know personal other thing um, but I have to sort of call on that stoicism and I have to call on that power and uh, teenage Jen was really really involved in everything like she was really active and Like on committees and did all kinds of shit that like adult Jen would have you know made fun of, Um, right? So I was a real doer at that point, and it was like doing as a way to cope. I recognize that now, Um, but it 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 is a yeah, it's a skill that I'm relying on quite heavily, right? To to yeah to navigate. So you're kind
0: uh, of reclaiming. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And she just like, she was also a pretty great friend, you know, like, um, yeah. Yeah. She was a really, really great friend.
0: Can you tell us a little bit about your dad? Yeah. There's like a before and after version, but, um, yeah, like before his drinking and after, I'm just, Curious what his personality was like.
1: Yeah, well, so my experiences of like what I remember um when I was little was that he was always like a lot of fun. And like I have this one really particular memory, and it might be well, yeah. I was probably about four or five, so my brother would have been little. And um my dad used to take me in these things and he would call them wild goose chases. And we would just drive around town, which like town was really small, but I didn't know it. And he would get me to navigate and I always would try and get him lost. Like that was always my goal. And of course it never happened. <laughs> so, and then we would go for a, a float or like a yeah float at the pop shop after.
0: So like, I have oh, that. Wait a second. This might be a cultural thing. I don't know if <laughs> everybody in all the countries know that a float is ice cream, but <laughs> it's, it's soda, and it totally explodes, all fizzy. I don't know if everybody. If does everybody is that universal? Are floats universal? I don't know.
1: Well, they should be. They should. Thank thank you for explaining <laughs> it because yeah, if people didn't know what that is. You've just revolutionized their life.
0: Totally vanilla yes. ice cream root beer <laughs> soda. That's what you're looking for,
1: folks. Exactly. And yeah, some liquor if you're an adult. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so I have that memory. And then yeah, and then the drinking memories were were terrible. You know, like um, I remember my dad telling me he was going to kill himself when I was like seven, and I was the only one there. Mm -hmm. You know, like what do you do? Mm -hmm. There's nothing. There's nothing you can do. No, I would have been probably eight. But uh, you know, still still a young person. Um, and then, and yeah, I just, I think that what my dad taught me the most, so, I, cause it's really hard to separate cause he's been dead for half my life. So it's hard to separate like what's real and what's feeling and what's memory and what's emotion, but the greatest impact that he's had is like showing me that not everybody can be saved, but everybody's worth loving, Mm. you know? And so it took me a long time to work out that love after he died. I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't know it, but in his death, I've learned. I've yeah. I've yeah. I've sort of learned how unconditional that feels.
0: How did you become aware of his death or his dying?
1: Um, like the actual moment. Yeah. Um. Well, so with alcoholism, um, it's pretty common that people. I was always called told it was called a bleed out. Um, but just there's like um almost like varicose veins in the esophagus and they rupture, Mm -hmm. and the person starts like vomiting and shitting blood and they they bleed to death essentially.
0: Wow. Um.
1: So that had happened a number of times, and of course that's a serious thing, but nobody had ever told me that it was. Going to kill him. So the hospital called and said, Ask for my mom. And I said, Oh, no, she's not here. And they said, Okay, can you tell them that Randy's had another bleed out and she needs to come down here? And I was like, Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, she came home and I told her, and she left and she came back like sort of 10 minutes later and she said, Okay, it's time to go. Like, we have to go, <laughs> we have to go say bye. <laughs> And you know, my brother and I were both like, "What like really like <laughs> it was it was like just like that. So we went down and um he was being transferred from the small hospital to uh, the one in Victoria, so we just got to say goodbye to him as he was wheeled uh, to the helicopter, and then we made the decision as a family to not go down to see him because that was a decision we made, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so he survived that night. Um, my uncle, his brother went and stayed with him that night. And then, um, my uncle left and my dad died. Mm. And then it was about seven 30 in the morning and my mom and my brother and I all came out of our rooms at the exact same time. And then the phone rang. Mm. So yeah, that was, that was how I found
0: out. <laughs> and so how did you process it? in the days and weeks and months and years following, like if you were to kind of in, in broad strokes, not so that you have to relive it, but Mm -hmm. how, how did that go?
1: It didn't for a long time. I, I didn't cry um, about his death for years, like yeah. So I found out that he died and I went and did some banking. Like it just it didn't impact me because I didn't know what death was. I didn't like you I had no relationship to it and nobody had ever told me what it was like and nobody talks about it. And you know, so it's just like this thing you sort of go through silently and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it was actually my first ever yoga class, <laughs> randomly enough. Um at the very end of class, I was laying there and I just started sobbing <laughs> and I was like, oh God, this is grief like where did this come from
0: Mm.
1: you know and so it was about a year um like I you know I I embrace things wholeheartedly but uh, um it was about a year of actively spending time and I mean like you know an hour to three hours every day with my own grief And I don't know that that's a sensible decision or a decision that anybody else would ever make, but
0: (laughs) did it feel like a decision Were you like, I'm going to spend an hour to three hours every day, just grieving.
1: Yeah. And that's what, like, that was what my sort of physical yoga practice became was like, like when I laid out my mat. And so I wasn't doing like physical posture work for the whole time. A lot of it was writing and, you know, what I continue to do today. I just sort of put the mat out and that's my place where I, where I process. Um, Yeah and just really was actively like recording dreams and um seeking yes like at at that time I thought yoga was the answer right it was a really like it was like it gave me something so this must be the cure right Mm -hmm. Of, of course I you know I know different now um but at that point so I really sort of threw myself into that and um just really got interested in energetics of the body and you know. How things are held there, and um, so I became theoretical about the grief um, in order to understand, but would also cry mm-hmm. <laughs> for you know sometimes two minutes, sometimes forty minutes. Like, um, yeah, and uh, in "Women Who Run with the Wolves" by Clarissa Pinkola Estes, she just has this beautiful line that's like, um, when you cry like that, it's like watering your own earth. Mm-hmm. You create your own river, and so it's yeah, like it's shitty work. But um, I do feel like that's what happened um, Mm. in a poetic way.
0: It's reminding me of uh, like in the Gallic tradition, they have the village keeners, you know, Mm -hmm. that come out and they just fucking the banshees, the banshees. (laughs) (laughs) So. So, actually, it makes me curious what is your um, lineage, your ancestry in terms of heritage? Do you know? Uh,
1: yeah, Scottish and English, from what I understand. Um, yeah, yeah, but I haven't. I ha- yeah, I think my father's side is English and then my mother's side is Scottish. There's a castle with my mum's surname
0: mm-hmm. still in
1: Scotland, so mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I might be royalty.
0: Yeah, <laughs> aren't we all? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what's so wonderful about the Smiths, right? Is that honor yeah. was so important to them that you know they they didn't believe that there was such thing as sort of lowly peasant. Everyone believed themselves to be honorable and need to comport themselves in such a way that uh, they were all kind of aristocratic, even as yeah. they were, you know. I mean, kilts. <laughs> need me say more? Right? Yeah. <laughs> wear a dress to this cow <laughs> like it's just like i'm gonna get all fancy
1: that's exactly what i'm gonna do that's I'm totally... my, with my leg knife yeah. whatever that might be called <laughs> i
0: can't
1: remember i'm pretty sure it's leg knife it's just like
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. um so how long has it been since that year on the mat mm. um,
1: eleven. Mm
0: hmm And I've heard you say, I think you said this at one of my tra- retreats one year, you were like, my dad's sure sucked as a dad, but he's great as a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's I feel... your relationship like with him um, sort of uh, across the, the realms? Well, I have, okay. So I've only like
1: had the experience of like having a vision you know, with, with the accompanying, uh, energy that I feel, but, um, I, he's, he's guided me. And like, so I spent a lot of time sort of traveling around and right after he died, a year after he died, um, my grandma died, which was his mom. And because he was already dead, the like inheritance was passed down to my brother and I, but It also happened at a time. It was like all in stocks or I don't know, whatever. It wasn't a whole ton of money. It was just a little bit of money, but it was, it came out uh, like trickled down slowly, I guess. So every time I wanted to take off somewhere else, I'd get like a grand, you know, it was always enough to just get my ticket to where I needed to get to. And so I always felt like that was him like saying, yes, you've made the right choice. Yes. You've made the right choice. And it's, taken me to some, you know, like wonderful places, terrible places, all the things that life does. But uh, it's just every time that I need to make a big shift, something happens um, that is very much attached to him. And I've had things like stones appear. And um, I, yeah, like when I that one time that I saw him, after the conversation was had, um, there was this beautiful piece of white beach glass just sitting there, and i i I found a plane ticket, which was what I needed from Halifax to Comox for one hundred and seventy five dollars.
0: What? That's a yeah. that's a tenth of the normal price. I yeah. <laughs> maybe less than ten <laughs> yeah. percent. Oh my god.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, and and it was a seventy five percent off seat sale, and it, like I'm positive that nobody else found that seat sale. But <laughs> you know, it just like things like this that um whatever for the non-believers I call it the winds of coincidence blew really strong but like it's it's he's always just guided me and um
0: yeah Mm. yeah and how would you say your relationship with death is now Mm.
1: I I, it's still developing I, I guess I mean it's it's i'm less afraid of it and like interested in the the mystery and um you know i practicing wholeheartedly at this moment in my life like embracing what it is to let go um and it's it's terrifying and it's magnificent and i don't know yeah <laughs> It's like the wildest friend you ever had that you love, (laughs) Uh, but it's like, you're never quite sure what's going to happen when it shows up,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Um, It always fucking breaks your heart. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It just like, it never, I don't know. It never gets like easy or anything, but it, it has got more praiseworthy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're in a new place in your life right now. You've now gone back across country. This is interesting um, for some people who've listened to the questers episode, <laughs> which is you get back from quest. And of course, I'm always like, try not to make any huge life decisions in the first little while you're like, I'm moving across country, leaving my relationship. Not like that all happened suddenly, right? That, there was build up there, but um, so that happened and you're landed somewhere else. And, you know, I was thinking today about how we came to meet because I, this is okay, just let me believe this was the, how our first meeting went. Okay. You showed up in my office and you brought flowers. And I was like, oh, this, this gal's got class. <laughs> She's like, I, I'm going to work with you. Let's do some, I don't, I can't remember what we're doing. It feels like it was picturing. It might not have been, but it was like the first one, you showed up with flowers and we did a beautiful work. You were dressed up, you were wearing a dress. It was like, this is a person who understands um, a certain kind of solemnity and sacredness and ceremonial approach that I, I deeply appreciated. Um, uh-huh. And so we've done lots of work together and I've, been able to witness you over years and through some ups and downs and you're landing in this new place and you are that teenage gen who was <laughs> involved in lots of stuff is mm-hmm. is kind of coming out and so can you describe like what is life about for you right now what are you into what are you jazzed about this is like tiger beat remember yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, tell us about your faves.
1: <laughs> My faves, top ten faves,
0: yeah.
1: um, must use. My life, I, yeah, it's all about expansion and being public right now. And it, it's like I've the past sort of yeah seven seven or eight years have really been reclusive, pulling inwards, pulling in, and like, and I think it is working on meeting that relationship with death and like seeing it at its face and going like, Oh, okay. Yeah. You're real. Um, yeah. And so as a result of having done that, I feel like, yeah, the, it's expression and public expression. Um, a lot of exploration right now. There's a lot of like really great connections and I'm incredibly magnetic. Um, like I'm also aware of how I need to wield that. Um, yeah, but my life is, um, both like incredibly mundane and feels full of possibilities and yeah, essentially like I've severed, (laughs) like I've, I've lived a death.
0: Mm -hmm. That's how
1: it feels. And, um, yeah.
0: And so now you're in the growth cycle and you're starting to come out as a professional intuitive, hashtag channeling channel. There's also um, Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I know you. There's awesome Instagrams where you're doing your poetry, where you've got, um, I love the time-lapse of you doing yoga in your living room with um, the poetry and like musings written underneath. Um, so you're pretty on fire these days. Yeah. Can you tell me and the listeners a little bit about like, so what are you, what are you doing when you're hashtag channeling change? (laughs) Okay. So I've, I've been trying to,
1: yeah, come up with this idea. It's like, what is it, what does it mean to change? Right. Um, It it means to make a conscious choice, but like, and, and to do that every day, but to channel, it seems to require um, like, a divine intervention is how it feels. Right. And in, in my life, it's come as crisis. Um, but instead of dwelling, which is, uh, you know, a place that I feel like I have been sitting for a long time doing good work, but it has felt a lot like dwelling. Um, yeah. And, and, and now it's shifted, um, to something, to something moving forward because, because I have this, um, like unshakable trust, um, you know, like whatever your word is, God, the universe, the angels is with me. Like I'm good. I'm good. I got this. And <laughs> yeah. And I just want to help people who are in that space of dwell. Cause it doesn't like, it's not Here's what I think people don't tell you. I think people don't tell you it gets harder. I don't I think people don't tell you it gets worse. I think people don't tell you. I think people tell you like you're strong enough, you you've got this or you're 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 going to be good or you've done this before or whatever and it's really disheartening because it's like yeah, okay, I know that. But what the fuck am I supposed to be doing?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Right? And so, yeah, just having it, I don't know that it would have taken me seven years,
0: <laughs> mm. you know, I if don't know. If you'd that. had a you ahead of you that was like, okay, Jen, now do, now, now do this, put your foot. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Or just like you're doing a good job because it's the second guessing, right. It's the second guessing.
0: Mm-hmm. You know?
1: And um yeah, when you are relying on intuition and the world's telling you intuition is just a coincidence. It's like,
0: what's real <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 well thank you very much um for sharing that mm. that aspect of grief mm. and now i'd like to ask you the the last question which mm-hmm. is how do you process rage
1: um <laughs> I move a lot. I find that movement helps a lot with rage. Um, I speak even when it makes me feel scared to say what I want to say. And um, I apologize when I've been uh, like when I've misused it, you know? Um, But yeah, I, I think that rage at this point in time, I'm directing it um, at the, system um and trying to remove it from the individual but that's hard when you're working with an individual you know mm-hmm. um yeah so I wouldn't say that I'm getting it right I wouldn't say that I'm getting it right but I am not afraid of it and I am really on board with it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm really excited <laughs> but all the new drama it's bringing <laughs> It's just like high school
0: <laughs> it's just like high school <laughs> <laughs> but now I can drink and and it's, it's true legal and yeah, exactly exactly yes yeah. yeah so um is yoga still your main form of movement or are there other things
1: um I'm doing a lot of walking I, I don't even know if what I would call what I do yoga anymore like I would just say it's like certainly just paying attention to what's tight and what's um worried in my body Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um but yeah I would say that's probably my primary um yeah and I do a lot of walking and a lot of I don't know yeah a lot of moving a lot of moving and dancing actually I dance all the goddamn time
0: (laughs) you're a great dancer thank you everybody can see that on Instagram (laughs) (laughs) it's true if you want to see me dance um
1: not in my Andes,
0: Maybe in my undies. No, you do yoga <laughs> in your underwear, but like you mm-hmm. usually dance. Some you do, you know. Mm-hmm. Your your backside figures. You it's know, true. It features. It's. I like, wish I,
1: I sometimes. I like to dream that at one day I'll be able to twerk. That yeah. is my goal. It is a life goal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a life goal. So.
0: That's awesome. One day. You're a great dancer. What's your Instagram name again? Coastal Jen, Coastal underscore Jen. Correct. Yeah, that's right. I, I really love that. Um, since we live on different coasts now, I can at least see you there. Yeah. Thank you so much for um, yeah, just sharing the entire journey with us today. I I we've we've talked about this stuff before, but kind of wanted to just give it some some focus, and um, I wanted to hear your story in your words, beginning to end. So thank you very much for sharing it with us. My pleasure. Thank you for asking, really. I want to let that be sacred, so I'm not going to editorialize too much today. But I do want to once again thank Jen, uh, bottom of my heart, for sharing so openly about the grief, the confusion, the fog that death can bring and how she has sat with it and moved and danced and journaled her way forward. Get all the details about the topics we mentioned in this episode, including a bit of background on Keeners and Banshees, plus uh, links to Jen's website and Instagram feed in the show notes on my website, CarmenSpaniola.com. Let's do a shout out today to my listeners in Nova Scotia. I know that there's more than just Jen there. I know the names of some of you. And um, yeah, I looked at my stats the other day, like hundreds of you. I don't, Nova Scotia Halifax how is there such a community there that n- knows my name it's it's totally bizarre to, to me um and magical and special so yeah thanks um, jen is uh has returned to your city please welcome her with open arms plus she has an awesome um intuitive business planning workshop coming up uh in November 2017 uh i this is something that Um, she has assisted me at. uh, I I lead intuitive business planning workshops. Mine's November 24th and um, now she's taking it out east and I'm so totally over in the moon about that. So please uh, check her out at jenthepoet.com. Finally just a heads up the deadline to place your deposit to come on quest with me is April 15th 2018. You can get all the details at carmenspaniola.com. C-A-R-M-E-N-S-B-A-G-N-O-L-A. Until next time, take care.